Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, front-end AI edition. I am your host, Ben Popper, joined, as I often am, by my colleague and collaborator, our blog editor and newsletter impresario, Ryan Donovan. And today, we have another special guest, my peer and partner on the team brand, David Longworth, who is our director of brand design, but also does a ton of front-end web work for the marketing team. So, David, welcome. Hello. Nice to be back. So, for folks who don't know David, just real quick, who are you? What did you do a little bit before Stack Overflow, and what have you been working on here, just so people know who you are? Yeah, so at Stack Overflow, like you succinctly put, runs sort of our brand studio arm. So, we do uh, brand design, we do the website, like front-end engineering for stackover.co, which for those who don't know is where we put all our marketing pages and the pages if you want to join Stack Overflow and learn more about the company. And recently, as you'll know, uh, Ben and Ryan, we moved our blog over to that kind of infrastructure mm-hmm. as well. So I've been working with you guys. Previous to Stack, so I've been here four and a half years now. I have a sort of a mixed background, worked in publishing, worked for a magazine, and then worked for a startup that was doing web microservices. So that's kind of where I really cut my teeth getting into the uh, front end of things. Very cool. So we're here today with a nice little news hook. Our guest is Lee Robinson, the VP of Developer Experience at Vercel. We've had Lee on the show a few times, and Vercel had some news today related to generative AI and how it can help web developers. So Lee, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. So in a nutshell, like tell us what it is you announced this week, and then we'll attack you from all angles with questions and see if you can keep up. <laughs> I'll try my best. Okay. Yeah, so this week we announced our generative UI product called V0, entered beta. At a high level, really, it allows you to take some idea that you have, express it in text or natural language, and turn that into working code that you can use in your application using familiar open source tools you might have already built with, like React or Tailwind CSS or popular open source component libraries. Very cool. And so. Is this a model that y'all trained and built in-house? Is this like, you know, something that you specifically created or is this a wrapper that's calling another foundational model somewhere? Yeah, it's something that we've created um, in partnering with uh, a few different companies. And really the, the core of this comes down to data that we've built and fine-tuned ourselves. So for example, one of the core folks behind this effort, one of the people on the team has also created a popular open source component library that is built on a few tools, Tailwind CSS and also Radix UI. And these components um, now used in V0 allow you to get a pretty nice looking UI out of the box that's accessible, that's easy to customize. So we actually went ahead and built a bunch of different variations using these components to help kind of seed the data. And then also as more customers, more developers use V0 and create interfaces and build components or build landing pages or build their ideas, that also helps the model to get better. So a good analogy here is if you're familiar with Mm MidJourney, which is a popular way of allowing folks to write text or natural language and create images, which, you know, there's some other models that do this now too, but MidJourney has a, a great community. It's like that 
but for React components. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that the first version of Midjourney was, it was okay. Like it, it showed what was possible. And then over time, hands are hard. Yeah, <laughs> hands are difficult. Yeah, the, the hands were the hands were very hard. I, I feel like there will be uh, other hands-like scenarios for generative UI as well too. Right. Um, over time, we expected to get much better. Cool. So, how much of a website do you intend and can this make? Is it just putting together components that you slot in, or can you just do a whole Next.js website? So the first model, the initial model that we've rolled out to customers, I would say is pretty good at creating components. So if you ask it to make a login form, you ask it to make a pricing widget for an e-commerce page, you ask it to make a Spotify now playing element, you ask it to make a, you know, like a newsletter component, it's pretty good at that stuff on you know, a few iterations or a few generations. For more complex, detailed landing pages, detailed marketing pages, it takes a few extra revisions to get the UI to the point where I think folks want it. So I think today, there's still improvements to be made around generating kind of entire pages. The name V0 was inspired by it literally being the first version of your website as a foundation for building the rest. So it's unlikely in the short term, maybe in the long term, that this becomes something that you make zero changes to after generating the first version. More realistically, and from what my experience has been so far and what customers have told us, they generate a V0, they copy paste it into their application, and then they tweak from there. And then they iterate from there. And it helps them get started faster. But there's definitely still work required. There's still coding required. There's still manual checks and performance tests and accessibility tests to make sure that everything works as expected. And then they ship. Interesting. First of all, like the sentiment of kind of the the junior developer, that seems to be kind mm-hmm. of where AI is. I know we at Stack Overload have been talking about that as well. So that sort of makes sense that you're just using this for the first pass, take the low-hanging fruit, and then build it from there. I'm curious how that fits in with like Vercel's sort of strategy in general, because I, as I said to you before we started, you know, I'm not hugely familiar with the platform, but no, you know, I've got developer friends use it like just getting something up quick, you know, their portfolio, a personal project. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I, I know and assume you, you go up to enterprise level as well. But yes, how does this kind of fit into that, that strategy? Yeah, I'm happy to walk stepping backwards, how we really arrived at V0 today, because it's been a journey for over six months. So if we go backwards towards this boom of generative AI, we started to notice a lot of customers deploying generative AI applications on Vercel, building chat interfaces, building interfaces that stream back responses from large language models. And we really noticed this sharp uptick. And we started thinking about ways that we could better enable these customers to build really high quality products. And we noticed a couple of things that a lot of them were struggling with. One was that in trying to build these chat interfaces, they would often have to compute some response that would take a while. They would ask a large language model some question, they would ask it some prompt, and it would take you know, 10 or 15, 20 seconds to come back with the full response. So if you notice popular tools like ChatGPT and Claude and Bard, 
they all progressively stream back more information from the model right. as it's being generated. And that provides a much better user experience, right? You don't have to just sit and wait for 20 seconds. It, it spits things out as it's ready. We wanted to help enable all developers to do that and to build that interface. So the next step after seeing this growth of AI on Brazil's platform was to give developers open source tools that they can build products with. So this is when we released the AI SDK. And this SDK was, it's, you know, it wasn't trying to be a large language model. It wasn't trying to be a standalone tool. It was trying to connect the existing models in the ecosystem with your JavaScript or TypeScript code base. So I decided to use GPT-4. I decided to use Llama. Awesome. We're going to make it really easy for you to build that chat interface. And that's all we're going to do. And we're going to do it really well. So that was kind of how the AI SDK started. And I think it has over 50,000 downloads a week now on NPM. And what we've heard from those customers is streaming text is great. But you know what's even better than text is interactive components. If you think about like Google search, for example, you type in a simple text prompt, but you get back these rich widgets of what's the weather, or mm -hmm. I want to book a flight, or you know, what are the movies in my area? And it's kind of hard to do that, right? That's, that's not something that's easily democratized to all developers in open source. So the next iteration of the AI SDK was actually making it such that you could return back React components. Right. And in doing that, we kind of realized, wait a minute, what if you could build a tool that allowed you to generate entire user interfaces using this technology. And that really spawned the idea for V0 because it builds on all of the existing tech in the Vercel stack. So it's actually a end-to-end -end full stack Vercel product. It uses Next.js, our open source React framework. It uses the AI SDK, our open source tooling for connecting to large language models. It uses our storage products for our Redis database. It uses our platform for managing and deploying the infrastructure and also iterating and refactoring the deployments. That's all self-contained inside of Vercel. So that was kind of the mm. inspiration for V0 that led us towards kind of the first version or the V0 of what you see today. There's going to be a lot of V0 puns, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wonder, you know, thinking about this, obviously, you know, not everybody is going to be doing different things, right? There's going to be a lot of, you know, Spotify now playing, give me a, whatever widget. Is there any sort of caching or like, here's the standard answer we give as a React component? Or is it all generated on the fly? It's all generated on the fly, but I do think that over time with iterations on the model and by feedback provided by customers, as we'll start to get consistently better and more well-designed and better output responses um, that start to kind of align with thousands or millions of bits of feedback from generations. And then you can imagine that in the future, we enable developers to inject their own components from their design system or inject in their own themes as well, too. So we iterate and solidify the shell of what makes a really good, high-performance, high-conversion login form based on millions of data points. And then you take that and can convert it to your design system, or we have it spit out a version that can be themable and, and further customizable. Interesting. Would it be fair to say there's like 
echoes of kind of like no code in there. Like if, you know, perhaps a product team that isn't totally, you know, into having coding expertise that they could do something with this, you know, to get them a V0 for lack of a better word. (laughs) Yeah. The way I like to think about the intersection between no code, low code, and generative UI is with no code, you could move very quickly because it abstracted away all of the complexity for you. So maybe it would be less flexible in what it can do, but the functionality that was provided by that tool was really good. However, as we see with low code, eventually there becomes this point where you're just, ah, I got to break out of the bounds of what this thing can do. I need to write some code. I just, I need to customize it a little bit. And for a lot of the no code tools that I've used personally, they almost try to come up with their own language or their own code versus like, just let me write the code. I know that it's a complexity jump, but with large language models, it's actually becoming easier and easier to say, hey, how does this code work? What is this Python script? What is this JavaScript function? Can you write a JavaScript function that parses this CSV and then changes the headers and then dumps it back in here? So it's kind of saying, actually, yes, code. We want code. And I think that's the big difference between maybe a low code and a generative UI, (laughs) which is we actually want to embrace code. We want there to be more code. We just want to make it easier to get the first version. Yes, code. I want to say yes to code. This code is beautiful. (laughs) It's perfect. And it's good just the way it is, okay? (laughs) Code doesn't need to feel bad about itself. Yes, comma, code. I'm going to get that t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's no code. Please don't ask me to. It's going to be Andrew Lincoln with the yes to me, you're a beautiful code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as you were building this, was there any consideration given to the sort of provenance of the training data, the idea of, you know, what is licensed or not licensed and how you keep humans in the loop going forward? Like, what happens if, you know, this becomes very widespread and continues to grow in its ability and there aren't any more slots for junior web designers or someone with a very unique style who's crafted a bunch of, you know, components that they used to license. I, I know you linked to that open source page mm-hmm. from Shade CN and, you know, that's open source, but also has, you know, $45,000 in revenue, I assume, from contributions or, or some people are using it some way. I guess like the macro concern for a Stack Overflow or, you know, an artist who's looking at mid-journey or, you know, Wikimedia is. If the AI eats all the information, whether that's design or code or whatever, what happens to the human beings who used to work in those industries? So do you want to address that a little? 100%. I mean, this is an incredibly important part of introducing AI into any existing industry and especially into, let's call it just front-end development in general. The way I like to think about this is often the comparison between these new tools and the current status quo becomes this hard either or. Either we have developers who are working on front-end tools or we have AI. Or either have all of this or all of the other. And I think what we've started to see from the first generation of AI co-pilots, quite literally with GitHub Copilot, is not necessarily that they are replacing developers, much more that they are enhancing developers. I saw a really nice slide. I don't remember which conference it was at, but it showed you know, an engineer, and then it showed an engineer plus AI and how that can help them 
move faster and more efficiently. And certainly my own personal experience building with you know, GitHub Copilot, building with B0, building with other AI tools, certainly dumping my TypeScript errors into GPT and saying, please, please tell me how to fix this because I'm not sure exactly what's happening here, has certainly made me a better developer, not only to understand how it works, but also to just automate away some of the tasks that I don't really want to be bothered with. With that being said, it's still really important that as the tools and the models evolve over time, we continue to do it in a way that brings the community along and also still continues to enhance and augment the existing developer experience, which I think also goes back to why I really like the ethos of quite literally your V0, quite literally your first version. In a generative UI, yes, code world, it's definitely not going to be you just take the output and you just completely launch it straight to production and and that's it. There's always going to be a human in the loop, not only to make sure that it's fast, but also to make sure that it's accessible, to make sure that it has tests. And maybe you can have a co-pilot help write those tests, but you still probably want to test it, right? You still probably want to make sure that billing flow works. You still probably want to make sure that you get the proper reviews and security and compliance uh, involved, depending on what part of your code base you're working with. So my hope is that for you know the near to mid future, this becomes something that really augments the existing developer workflow. Yeah, I think in um, my conversation with developer friends talking about their AI usage, it's like, this is really good at scaffolding, right? Give it a template and it gives me the precise thing that I need here. Do you think that'll be you know more of the way it goes for, for the standard things on uh, V0? Yeah, one helpful way to think about it for me based on what I've seen usage of V0 so far is there's actually quite a lot of people who are proficient web developers that have not yet mastered the front end. So I actually talked to quite a few developers who I would consider to be incredibly talented with many, many years of experience who still struggle with CSS. And that's not a knock on them. CSS is pretty hard. (laughs) Struggle with it because nobody likes it. Just get that (laughs) thing out of here. (laughs) CSS is difficult, right? There's lots of nuance. There's cross-browser support, which is getting better, absolutely. But it's still something that I think people who have been focused primarily on front-end development for more than 10 years know that there is an iceberg of complexity on the front-end. Yes, my AI-powered tools are going to help me get that first version above the water of the iceberg. And then the people who've been around you know, for a while in the arena there know that <laughs> the further you get under the water, there's some really complex and challenging bits of the front end. And also, too, the current generation of generative UI tools like V0 are built on open source tools. So somebody still has to make the open source tools better as well, too. And that helps grow that community because there might be a whole new design system, a whole new component library that can be integrated into tools like this. That's another opportunity to uplift and support an open source creator. I was just thinking about everything Lee was sort of saying about these tools, about AI tools, could probably apply to something like Bootstrap when that first came out. Like, I think I remember overhearing people just saying like, oh, like, well, we don't need designers anymore. Like, we don't need front ends anymore if we've got Bootstrap, right? We just 
disassemble the, the Lego blocks and sort of move on. And so it's interesting, like sort of what's old is new again with that conversation. So specifically on that bootstrapping example, it's interesting to dive in a little bit more because V0 uses Tailwind. Mm. So to think about this evolution of utility CSS on the web and for front-end developers. So if you go back, let's say 15 years, a lot of people are writing style sheets by hand. They are duplicating a lot of styles. They're probably shipping more styles than they need to the browser. So then Bootstrap comes along based on the abstractions that they've seen that have worked really well. I can't remember if it was like 2008 maybe when it came out, I think maybe around then from the folks at Twitter. And that was a step change in just providing a really good abstraction for doing styling better and getting something that looks good. And since that first idea of utility CSS has kind of emerged, there's been multiple iterations on it over time. And specifically with Tailwind CSS, it's kind of that same argument of like, okay, if I learn this utility library, does that mean that I don't need to learn CSS? And the iceberg analogy actually plays out really well here because under that abstraction layer of Tailwind, of Bootstrap, it's still just CSS on the web that's been the foundation for a long time. So you're still going to have to figure out that strange Safari bug, or you're still going to have to think about the difference of styles on mobile or web right. and how it interacts with the rest of your component library and, and the, the cascade of styles, even when you want to override some styles. And there's still a lot of foundational things there that require extra thought. And that even with AI-enhanced tools to help you understand the nuance and the specificity of the cascade are still going to require <laughs> some optimization. Right. Yeah. That's always going to be the case for sure. So you talked earlier about mid-journey and the sort of hand and finger problem. What's the V0 version of hands and fingers? Come on, Lee. What's it bad at? Come on. <laughs> Warts and all now. No, no. <laughs> no, it's a really good question because it's still so early that I'm sure there's going to be more hands and fingers problems that come up mm. that I don't even know about yet. All I know about is so far, I think one of the first things that we've been really focused on trying to do well is ensuring that performance and accessibility are considered. And the things that we found is that in general, AI models can do a decent job at generating output that especially when given the right data can produce pretty good results. But that comes with the understanding and the expectation that this is not the end goal. This is not the code that you just take and immediately release. There still has to be the normal development process. So I think the goal then is to reduce the number of cycles between that V0 and actually what gets released in production in finding all of the hands and fingers problems in between there, because I am sure there will be many in the next six months as we continue to get this better and have more folks try it out. One thing I mentioned a little bit that it's pretty good at components today. It's not as good at doing full landing pages without doing multiple iterations. So just quickly on how the iteration model works, you go to V0, there's a text input. You write in what you want to build. And sometimes on that first generation, it's pretty decent. But if you give it a, you know, a pretty grand idea, like build something vast, 
it's probably not going to be very good on the first shot, on the first prompt. Now, you can click on the toolbar and select individual pieces of the UI to highlight and refactor and reiterate on, but that might take, you know, 20, 30 different generations or iterations to get to something that you feel happy with. My guess is that over time, that will get better such that as we have more information and more data around the different archetypes of things that people want to build on the web, we can start to make less prompts or less generations needed to get something good. Right. Does it have a temperature that you can set? You know, I know for a lot of things, Midjourney is an example. You can say, I'd like you to just take my prompt and try to work on it very literally. You can say, be creative with this. Like, can you set the temperature so that when you ask Vizier to do something, you know, it kind of tries its own thing. It, it, it lets a little bit of its personality out. Yeah, so today in the beta, it doesn't have any additional options outside of just writing natural language that you can mm -hmm. configure it with. However, I can imagine a world as we now have a Discord community of developers who are sharing prompts similar to MidJourney, we might find some emergent uh, sentences or flags, kind of like MidJourney, where the prompts always crack me up because... They're so hilarious. It's like ultra HD, like super hi-fi max film. Like, I don't right. know where they Unity came 4K. up with. 4K. Yeah. Yeah. They're, the best. yeah. <laughs> they're really funny because you start to see these prompts get shared and you're like, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that is an incredible prompt and it produces a really, really good output. I would guess that some of those type of things will start to emerge in V0. Plus, we might also be able to expose some of that optionality through prompting or through the different generations you want to build. How much, I guess, like portability is there in the output? Like, is it just outputting like code I can run on my machine? Or is it like, is it aware of the cells, like, you know, function features and all that stuff? Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts about V0 because when you think about low code and no code tools, a lot of these tools and especially even AI enhanced versions of these tools, they're still building let's say proprietary versions of whatever that tool is. And maybe it still compiles down to HTML at the end of the day, but the JavaScript is all mangled and unreadable and it's not using a popular tool. And maybe the CSS is like inlined into the HTML file. It's not like a separate maintainable project. That was kind of a non-starter for us. When we said we want people to have a solid V0 to build on, we wanted tools that you could actually then iterate on and take to production. So our bar was picking tools that we would also use ourselves to quite literally build the product. And that was React, Tailwind CSS, right. and Shad CN UI, and, and Radix UI for the accessible components as well too. And the key thing there is that when you do a generation of V0, you're getting code that is completely portable and completely open. So not only do you have a tab for the React code in the JSX format, there's also an HTML version as well, too, where you could use with Tailwind CSS, which also, again, compiles down to CSS. So we're still building on the foundations of the web. It's still just HTML, JavaScript, CSS. But we're giving you the open source abstraction layer that we think most developers are building with today in the JavaScript world. Right. Super cool. So you think, like, is there a a learning element to this as in if I, I'm an, an experienced coder and I'm coming to this like because that's that's sort of one of my criticisms of tools like React and Vue and stuff is they abstract things away 
to the point where if you're a junior developer and you join a company and they've you know already set up the application and you've never written vanilla JavaScript, you're just like, oh, this is the way to do things. Not aware of all that stuff you've been talking about. And so I feel like, you know, something like Svelte, I'm really enjoying just noodling around with because I'm like, oh, how do I do this? And I'm like, oh, it's the JavaScript way, right? There is no, this is how you define a plugin, right? It's just the standard way, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a world where V0 will be able to output more than just React code. We're certainly huge fans of Svelte at Vercel, and I'm glad that we're able to help contribute to the project. I would love a world where we can also output Svelte code as well, too, for folks who are looking for a more gradual on-ramp into the JavaScript ecosystem. I think that React is easy to learn, but I do think that Svelte is easier when you're coming from zero knowledge of web development because it feels more similar to just vanilla JavaScript. But I do think that once you get over the, the initial hurdle, both Svelte and, and React are, are really good choices. And the other goal at Vercel is to build other open source tools that are helping to remove that complexity and provide a good abstraction layer as well, like Next.js, right. such that you don't have to think about the compiling and the bundling and the stitching together of the different tools. You kind of just take that React component that you can read top to bottom and understand how it works. You drop it in your Next.js application and then it just kind of works. Typical. All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow, helped to spread a little knowledge around the community, awarded 14 hours ago a lifeboat badge to Jonathan Reinhardt, who came in and provided an answer to a question, how can I import a static library in Python? Thanks, Jonathan. You've helped over 22,000 people, and congrats on your lifeboat badge. As always, I am Ben Popper, the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. And if you don't like the show, don't listen to the show anymore. I don't know why you're here (laughs) if you don't like the show, unless this is your first time, in which case, fair. Fair play to you. (laughs) I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me, my DMs are open on X at rthordonovan. And I am David Longworth, head of brand design at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X as above Dave. I'm still there for a little while longer. I'm Lee. I'm the VP of Developer Experience at Vercel. You can find all of my socials at leerob.io. And if you're interested in V0 or you want to learn more about generative UI, we have a great blog post on the Vercel blog. Or just go to v0.dev. By the time you're listening to this, the waitlist might be over. So we're rapidly getting the 100,000 people on the waitlist off in the next coming days. You'll be able to sign up for free. And then we'll have pricing available as well too now. So would love to hear your feedback. Awesome. We will put the links to all of that in the show notes. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon.